the Green Finance Podcast. I'm your host, Yulia Tutina, senior reporter at Tearsheet. We've talked a lot on this podcast about the growing consumer awareness around climate change. Considering the scale of the problem, a lot of us feel like we're not doing enough, but also that there's only so much we can do. It's hard to know even where to start as a person, and it gets even harder at company or government level. But we are learning, and one of the biggest lessons that I think will define this decade is how our financial choices impact the planet. We choose to shop at a particular store, we choose to buy from a certain brand, and we choose to eat what we eat, for example. Same goes for the financial system. Banks and financial institutions choose who to lend to, and they choose which sectors warrant investments. Studies show that when it comes to their bank, consumers do care about alignment with personal values. It was the second most prized service by bank customers right after higher interest rates on savings accounts, some studies show. The majority of people want to know more about the environmental impact of how they spend their money and want their banks to help them take action and reduce their environmental impact. Moreover, consumers also want their banks to decarbonize, considering the financial support they've given over the past decades to the fossil fuel industry, for example. But in order to make the right choices, that is, the choices that have the least negative impact on the planet, We need information, we need data, and we need tools. This means data and technology that can scale and that's accessible to everyone. I'm talking about this today with my guest, Emma Kisby, UK and Europe CEO of Kogo, a company that provides carbon footprint management products that enable individuals and businesses to measure, reduce, and offset their impact on the climate. There's lots to cover, so let's dive right in. Hi, Emma. Welcome to the Green Finance Podcast. Lovely to have you here. It's a really important topic we're discussing today, that of enabling people and businesses to make climate-friendly choices. Climate change needs to become a top priority for all of us, even though there are so many other things happening right now that warrant a lot of attention. The summer has been really intense for many people around the world. We've had heat waves and droughts on one end and then floods and storms on the other. It's really hard to keep track even. I live in Romania, for example, which is a very agricultural country, so there's been panic on that end. But we also border Ukraine, so you can't imagine the anxiety that stems from that as well. But, you know, we got to stay focused on the positives, right? Um, yeah, if you think about it too long, you get a bit depressed, don't you? You just got to kind of really try and focus on the things that are in your control. And um, yep. And I think things that we can affect, which is, you know, I think equally why we do the jobs we do, right? It just feels like a little bit of something towards it. But it, I mean, it is, you know, it's it's um, it feels like it's accelerating. You know, we always talk about the fact that the challenge with the climate crisis is that um, people are increasingly feeling it and seeing it. It's not just this kind of thing that scientists were talking about. Actually, suddenly, you know, when it's in London, it's 42 degrees. People go, oh, wow, this is global warming. And you're starting to see and feel it. And it's scary. Now, that climate anxiety is very real. So, 
But there's also so many other things to worry about, you know, with the the war in Ukraine and and kind of the cost of living crisis and, you know, energy fuels and talks of blackouts. It's very hard to keep on people's agenda. Yes, very, very true. But at the same time, isn't it the silver lining as well? Maybe throughout this whole thing that we finally get to that realization, to that moment of uh, acknowledgement and so we can move on to solutions and move on to investment and move on to like the um the practical things rather than just uh, you know debate on something that's not even a debate anymore and finally hopefully people can see so that that's kind of my sentiment i'm trying to see the positive the 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 you know the flip side and and uh, hopefully this is going to be that that moment where people realize from all aspects it's you know from the fact that it's down to our economics down to our you know the the money side of it our, our wallets down to the energy like how it can impact every aspect of kind of our lifestyles but then it's also so uncomfortable because it's so hot and you're sweating a lot and you don't want it like it's just it's on you and there's nothing you can do about it you can't avoid it anymore so it's maybe that that last frontier where it's just starting to be physically uncomfortable. So <laughs> um, and maybe that's a that's that that pat on the back that we needed. It it totally is. I mean, we talk a lot about positive reinforcement, and look, we're seeing. I mean, even this morning, we just launched the um, our carbon tracker in in ING's mobile banking experience. You know, and I and it was really. I don't know if heartwarming sounds a bit naive, but it was really heartwarming because one of the guys from Rabobank, who's a competitor of ING, was kind of shouting and just saying, oh, look, look what ING have done with Kogo. You know, we talked with Kogo. You know, they're a great partner. It's just I was like, I felt very, I don't know, maybe a bit reassured and warmed that actually there is this kind of feeling of collaboration that we all need to do things. So let's see where it goes. Yes, definitely. And I, I had that same feeling as well um, from this conference where, um, you know, people that have been working at this for a lot longer than I have were saying uh, this, the same thing, that they're a bit more relaxed because there's more people working on it. There's more people thinking about it. There's, um, you know, it's growing in momentum and uh, it, they, it doesn't feel like they have such a huge weight on their their shoulders anymore like it's, it's starting to be a little bit more dispersed and having that feeling yes of collaboration um and i guess the uh you know just like kind of the empathy from others that are going through the same thing as you are i think it's interesting you said i hadn't really thought about that but you're absolutely right like one of the things i talk about is um when we talk to especially people you know we we work a lot with the banks where People come to me and they just, it's just not my core job. And I'm suddenly being asked to kind of develop, you know, carbon footprint. And it's just like, I don't, it, it's um, it's amazing that all these different people who, who before didn't ever have to think about, you know, the impact on the climate are suddenly thinking about it. So actually, you're absolutely right, which is it's a real positive that it's becoming a common part of everyone's job, not just like there's a team. And that's what I talk about a lot about when I see meaningful change in the corporations we work with, it's because that it's integrated across their culture as opposed to that, oh, there's a team in the broom cupboard trying to work out what our climate solution is. You know, I think it's, um, it is encouraging that it's becoming a big part of everyone's day jobs as opposed to just a side thing that we all kind of think about. And there are conscious decisions. I was reading something about cryptocurrency. And actually, you know, there's a lot more, um, there's a lot more consciousness around, you know, the energy consumption linked to cryptocurrency. And 100 years ago, you know, if you think about the Industrial Revolution, that that was never thought about. So it is interesting that new kind of technologies, new opportunities are coming through, but with that side thought, which is, and what's the impact on the climate and people and planet? So you're right. It's good that it's part of everyone's day job. 
Truly. And it's a filter that I only hope it's is going to be adopted by more and more people because that is the economic reality that we're going to be living in, you know, aside from personal views, it's just, uh, you know, we got to be realistic about it. The, the data is there, the solutions are there, the people are there, ideas, uh, awesome ideas like Kogo and awesome people like you that are working on getting us there and collaborating with people because it's going to take partnerships. It's something that we've never done before. And banks don't like doing things they haven't done before. So um, it's uh, it's going to take working together. It's uh, only by uh, scaling this kind of impact that we're going to be able to kind of reach meaningful resolution. I agree. I want to get your um, overview opinion on what the situation is now with regards to the banking sector, uh, its environmental impact, and more specifically, the impact that it enables, whether that's through their financing or through, you know, the relationship, the very tight financial relationship that they have with their customers. So how do you view this whole spider web? Yeah, it's no secret that the banks have played a kind of a significant role in terms of their investment, which have contributed to the climate crisis. And, and what I feel really encouraged about is there are a lot of banks now stepping up and looking to make a big impact and correct things. And um, the first thing I always think about the banks is getting their own house in order, obviously having a meaningful sustainability strategy to move towards divesting in things like fossil fuels and deforestation is really critical. That's, you know, it's, it's getting their own house in order is really important. And we're seeing regulatory pressures that are coming in to really encourage banks to be more transparent and, and disclose in a really positive way. But the thing I get really excited about is the huge opportunity that banks have to support their customers and their SMEs to lower their carbon footprint. And that's where Koga comes in and we've collaborated really, really well with the banks like NatWest and ING around bringing solutions that can help customers measure, understand, reduce, and ultimately offset their carbon emissions. And it can have significant impact. We were at Money 20. That's where Yulia, you and I met. And uh, the combined collective uh, customer base of the banks attending Money 2020 was in excess of 685 million people. And we did a little bit of maths before we went there and basically worked out that if, if all of those people just took a few actions, a few lifestyle changes that we know that the banks can nudge and help them to, to change their behaviour, it would reduce carbon emissions by 90 million tonnes. And that's the equivalent of planting woodland about mm, three times the size of London. So they have a significant uh, opportunity to really make a difference to this climate crisis, both getting their own house in order and creating solutions and tools for their customers, both consumers and SMEs. And what are, what are those tools look like? Tell us about what their what banks like you mentioned at West, ING, what are they looking for? And what are the practical, um, I guess, solutions for them and for their uh, infrastructure as it is today. Yeah, so one of the things that we hear from consumers is this space is really complicated. There's just so much information and you don't ever know what you're doing and if you're doing the right thing. And, and we're seeing that that consumers are actually increasingly looking to banks to help them give an understanding of the impact of their spend. And, and people's spend closely correlates to the impact they have in terms of carbon emissions. So what we do is we help the banks by uh, changing and transforming their spend data into personalised carbon footprints. So what that actually looks like, if you were to open your NatWest app or your ING app, you would go into your mobile banking to check your bank balance. And there you'd see check your carbon footprint or check your carbon insights. And you can go in 
and straight away see your spend translating into a carbon footprint. And then that's all about the understanding and the measuring. And then secondly, it's about how can I reduce? So we help the bank by giving recommendations relevant to customers to actually change their behaviors where they want to and help them reduce that those carbon emissions and then feed that back. So, you know, by switching to an energy provider, renewable energy product, you can reduce your carbon footprint by X. And what that does is that really helps make it very tangible for those customers to make a difference and make a change and then see the benefit of their actions. So how are you able to calculate the footprint of transactions? Uh, I'm assuming it's much simpler for something like a, like a bill, like a recurring bill that comes from one provider. But for example, whether it's a, a basket of goods, like a grocery store visit, um, how, do you, how would you know which exact items were bought or how does that actually work, uh, I guess, um, on a day to day basis? Yeah, so what we do is we take the spend categories from the bank and then we break those down to um, the most relevant and most granular we can get to in terms of where you're spending with the merchant. And then what we can do is we match those against the emissions factors for those merchants as is defined by what we call an EEIO model. And these basically look at emissions factors for that market. So we're looking at averages, so it's not perfect data, but it's it's enough data to give you a really good impression of how you're spending and where you're spending and identifying those kind of carbon hotspots, if you like, in terms of where the most carbon intensity is. When it comes to things like grocery, what we can do is we can see the carbon footprint of that supermarket, for example, and we can match that against your spend at that supermarket. But what we don't know is what's inside your basket. So what we do is we ask people to input and tell us their diet, because this is the bit that makes a meaningful difference. Because as you can imagine, when you're thinking about carbon calculations, there are lots of things going in and out of the basket. You might be buying locally or you might be buying air freighted, and then you might be buying uh, in-season apples, but you might be buying a, an Ecova or an Eco friendly um, laundry detergent. There's a lot going on, but the material differences that you can make in terms of your grocery spend is related to your diet. So what we do is we ask the user whether they are eating red meat or not, vegetarian or vegan, and we're able to reduce your carbon emissions accordingly. That's amazing. Uh, what kind of insights are you guys able to uh, put together as more people are are using this and the more people are kind of, you know, opening their accounts to this kind of an analysis and, you know, choosing to do this. Yeah, so when we started around two and a half years ago, we had an app in market and it was seen as a bit of a nice to have. Um, in the last, I would say, six months, that's dramatically changed. We now know that over 400 million people have access to some kind of carbon calculator through their, their banking experience. And what we see is that exclusively it used to be seen as a bit of a young person's issue, but it's actually not. We actually see a broad demographic appeal, which is really encouraging. So everyone feels that they have a need to act. We do definitely see an over-index in the 25 to 33-year-olds. And some of the actions and recommendations that they will adopt are more relevant to some age profiles and some demographics more than others. So, for example, we see in a younger generation uh, or younger audience, sorry, that um, fashion is a key consideration and actually they're more likely to do rental or buy second hand, whereas in an older generation, there tends to be more around energy consumption and thinking through that. And that is probably also reflected of the lifestyle they lead. 
But overwhelmingly, what we see is real engagement. So it's been amazing to see the work we've done with NatWest. And um, actually, they're announcing their first half results tomorrow, where they're going to update in terms of the number of, of their customers' engagement in their carbon footprint. But at last public count, it was over 200,000. And we've seen that materially increase since. In, since. So it, it, it's very exciting. And also, we're learning the whole time. You know, this is a new category. It's a new area. Carbon literacy is quite um, low. People don't really understand what their carbon footprint is. So helping people understand things like equivalence, et cetera, to bring it to life and make it very tangible. We've learned a lot around that benchmarking, carbon budgets. So we're learning all the time and we're constantly evolving our proposition. That's really, really awesome. And um, uh, I hope you guys do uh, you know, really, really well in the future as well. And we've talked a little bit about, so we've talked about the personal side, so the, the end consumer, the, the bank customer, but you guys also have business solutions. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, we um, did something publicly with NatWest actually in the UK. Um, what we've seen in the UK is that SMEs are around 30% of all UK emissions and actually have an enormous opportunity to reduce the carbon emissions of the UK by around 50%. But what we also see is only one in 10 of SMEs actually measure their carbon footprint. And there's there's a number of reasons for that, but it, it really breaks down to one is knowledge, you know, understanding this space. As soon as you get into things like scope one, two and three, people don't know what it is. It's not their core business. It becomes very complex and confusing and, and that drives disengagement. And secondly, is really time. You know, it's just not a priority. And what we're seeing, especially now, that there are so many other priorities that SMEs are dealing with, you know, and, and time is such a priority that they don't have time to focus on this, even though they know it's a challenge. And what we're also hearing is that, you know, some of the big corporates, especially like supermarkets, for example, who are looking to disclose in their carbon emissions are putting pressure on SMEs to disclose their emissions because they're having to as part of their reporting. But then these SMEs don't know what it is and it's, it's a big upheaval for them. And then finally, it's kind of really getting clarity around the right financial support to help them make decisions that are not only better for the for their pocket, but also better for the planet. So how can we help signpost? And that's what our solutions look to do. So they look to use spend-based data to make it very simple to, for an SME to get a really quick snapshot of their carbon footprint, highlight these carbon hotspots of where they can take action, and help signpost what they can do next to actually materially reduce their carbon emissions and save money at the same time awesome i'm wondering um as you said it's a new field it's a new territory there's a whole educational aspect that comes with it um there's the cultural aspect as well because the banking services industry uh it's uh you know carries a lot of legacy so what's been your experience on this front on the cultural front on working with uh, with such an incumbent system uh, and with, you know, banks like NatWest, which have been around forever. So uh, what's been that relationship like? Has that evolved over the past few years? Do you see this kind of um, um, like a new frontier, perhaps, for climate tech embedding within fintech? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I don't think we were the first. I think if you look at things like PFM solutions, you know, personal finance management solutions, that collaboration between fintech and, um, you know, traditional banks is pretty established. Um, and what the fintechs can bring to the party is innovation and be, we can be really nimble and we can test things and then bring that to the traditional banks who, yes, you're right, have those legacy systems, but they have enormous scale of customer base uh, and the potential for massive impact. So the collaboration between 
us being very nimble as a climate tech and then actually being able to translate all those learnings that we've had within our own app and take those to the bank so they can surface them in the case of NatWest, 8 million customers. That is phenomenal. And I think we will only see more and more of this as companies are constantly evolving and innovating and looking to try and find solutions to, to address this climate crisis. What, would, what advice would you give to someone in the sector, in the banking, finance, investment sector, who are uh, curious and just want to you know, start out uh, thinking about this? Uh, what would be some practical first steps that um, they might take to kind of begin um, on this journey of sustainability, ESG, climate risks, and um, you know, everything that we've been discussing? I think the first um, a piece of advice I'd give is, is don't be overwhelmed. Um, it can feel a bit intimidating. You start talking about scope one, two, and three, direct, indirect emissions. It feel it can feel quite overwhelming, but actually it's really good fun. I mean, it sounds like an oxymoron, but you know, it, it, we regularly hear from people that we work in the banking sector that this is the most fun that they've had. They're learning so much. You know, I think the, the second bit is get very practical. There's so much, um, there's so much amazing material out there helping and breaking it down we work with Mike Berners-Lee even on a very basic level just understanding your own impact he's got a great book called How Bad Are Bananas and 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 that just breaks it down to be very real and actually applies to you but there's lots of other um, material out there you know there's the Cambridge Sustainability course you know a lot of the partners that we're working are sending their employees or they themselves are going on the Cambridge Sustainability course so there's lots of opportunity to upskill but the third area is just reach out. You know, there's there's so many businesses like ours who are looking to solutions and really happy to to talk and share and, and educate and and help. And we're all looking to create collaborations. So so reach out. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Emma, for joining us on this podcast. It was really awesome and a lovely conversation. And hope to have you back soon. Thank you, Yulia. Great to see you again. To read the transcript of our conversation head over to Tearsheet.co. If you want to know more about the intersection of finance and sustainability, you can subscribe to our free green finance newsletter in your inbox every other week to get more insights and research into this topic. That's also where I'll be featuring every new green finance podcast episode, so sign up to stay up to date with all of our content. Thank you for listening, and make sure you subscribe to the Green Finance Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'll be out with a new episode every two weeks, so I'll see you at the next one.